Welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We're adventuring this week, people. We're out on the road, traveling the old dusty highways, seeing the sights, <laughs> you know, venturing out into the oceans, catching a catching a skiff, maybe yeah. going on a boat. I was going to say that yeah, ocean, ocean might be a more appropriate um, metaphor, like a mm. sailing, sailing the old highway. We are... I guess I don't was Marco Polo traveling by land? I just think of him as like an ocean explorer exclusively. So according to Wikipedia, which I read about ten minutes before we started recording, right. uh, both. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess he doesn't maybe get enough recognition for the uh the land exploration. We'll get into that later. It's not important now. Yeah, apparently Marco Polo, um, who's First-hand account of traveling in Asia and the middle now the currently the Middle East. Uh, we are reading part part of his account, a partial account that Penguin collected for these little black classics we're reviewing. And this one is called "Travels in the Land of Serpents and Pearls," which I think that uh, Penguin just kind of plucked that title. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the title in his larger work, uh, but that's what we're reading and reviewing today. It's a you know fifty-five or so page collection from his famous travelogue. And I don't know if he mentions boats. I mean, he mentions a lot of boats in this collection. I don't know if he mentions traveling by any, though. That's true. I guess it's just kind of like the... He he talks about a lot of different islands, and it's mostly... I think we're talking about India exclusively. Was that the impression that you got? I think it's... Is it all like modern-day India? He calls it India in the text, and he mentions names of kingdoms that are obviously no longer kingdoms, so it's kind of hard to parse. But mm. apparently, it's also would include modern-day Sri Lanka and somewhere else that would not be modern-day India. I forgot the name of the other place, but I did Google some of the kingdom names he uses because it becomes clear to even if you have barely passing world geography that many of the places he's talking about don't exist with their current names. Oh, yeah, no, that's for sure. That's, yeah. Hopefully that's apparent to all of our listeners. Um, I would I would like to give them enough enough credit. I, th- I hope so. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even know if I picked out many of the names in the quotes, but we'll get into that in a minute. Let's review this thing first. We like to do our, our short and sweet reviews right up front, just to let the listeners know if this book or work is worth pursuing. Uh, why don't you start us off, Ryan? What's your short review? This one, again, I think I'm still kind of reeling from all of the Victorian romantic poetry that we've been yeah. on over the last month or so. But uh, I thought this was really interesting. A uh, lot of little fun bits and pieces in it, and it moves really quickly. I think the thing that stuck out to me the most about it was the writing style, the way... Marco Polo kind of just jumps around to things. He's like, I'll tell you this, and then I'll tell you something about that. And then you should know this. And as a Mm -hmm. matter of fact, this is what I'm going to say about that. So I don't know. I thought a lot of the little like quips in here were fun. Um, Yeah, I guess I thought it was, I thought it was like an interesting little 55 pager. 
Yeah, I think that the the reader, any any potential reader, will need just to exercise a, a slight amount of patience for the style, which we'll get into, I think, with a few stylistic tweaks. And maybe, you know, this book was written in th- around 1300, so maybe this is just a modern reading of it. But mm-hmm. it, it just didn't have a, it had a very awkward flow at times and just did not cohere um, and I don't think it's the way that Penguin cut it up because you can see in the text where they decided to break versus where he's just rambling paragraph after paragraph and just kind of yeah. rifling him through so I don't think it was Penguin that chopped it up I just think stylistically it's awkward transitions it just doesn't have a it just doesn't read that well that smoothly this thing would get edited to death if he submitted this to a current right. editor for a travel log story Sure, but I, I think it kind of checked most of the boxes. I want to have a travelogue. The primary of which is if the author's not going to be particularly witty, at least they can be observant and kind of have fun with it and make you yep. yearn for the experience that maybe they had or the feeling that they felt. Yeah. And I think I did yearn for it, not for the diseases or the tarantulas, which I'm sure we'll talk about as a quote. Just a lot for of those, yeah. Yeah, just for learning something for the first time. Just for knowing that if you read this book, you would think, "Is that place? Could that place even be real?" I guess I'll never know because I, you know, I don't have the internet yeah. and I can't and I can't travel yeah. anywhere. Um, so so yeah, it just I, had, it just had a certain mystery to it, I suppose, that it was uh, intriguing and I, I liked. I agree. I wrote down the word mysticism, and I also wrote down the word exotic, and I think those are two of like the. The one thing's, yeah, sure, he's not like the best writer in the world, but at least most of the time what he's writing about, at least you're like, oh, shit, really? Like, that's really what was going on back then? Or that's how how things were rolling in that part of India at that time? Like, I don't know. I thought that was interesting enough. I think, yeah, and I think the term exotic nowadays would be pretty out of vogue. That exoticism has become sort of a... I don't know. It's it's basically part and parcel with stereotype, but I think the mm. way he writes it, I mean, it's it's almost devoid of like I don't even. I was going to yeah, say politics, which can't or, really. Be, yeah, he's just so neutrally kind of intrigued by everything that yeah, it's, kinda, there's, yeah, no, pretty, there's no judgment language. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Is there's not really he doesn't really come off as having opinions on anything. Yeah, um, no, there's no like real personality in it, and he's not he's not weighing in. He's just like, well, I have to I have to tell you this, and that's the truth. He does kind of say that a few times. I felt like he was like, you have to believe what I'm telling you because this actually happens. And that could just be part of a salesman's pitch, right there. You know, let's make sure you let's let's get this book out there. Let's circulate this bad boy. Sure, I'm telling you real things. This, <laughs> I guess, you have to consider that. Also, in the context, apparently he was writing this to, or he was pitching this, talking about it to someone in prison. He was imprisoned at the uh, the time. Like, man, this is the book I'm going to publish when I get out. I've been a ton of places, and it was crazy. Yeah, I think he definitely got the manuscript together in prison in Genoa or something. I I didn't read up too much on his life, and mm-hmm. nor have I watched the Amazon or the um the Netflix show, which I'm sure is very accurate. Uh, <laughs> and so I don't, I don't really know why he was imprisoned, but yeah, that's what it said online. It was just he drafted in prison. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have any quotes that reminded you of being imprisoned in his rhetoric? Uh, that's the segue I'm giving. That was pretty good uh, for all the listeners out there. Never been to prison, but if I if I were to pull one uh, that was the most prison like, 
the first one I pulled was a really interesting hygiene quote. It was like on page, let's see, 14. Everything clean and pleasant they do and touch with the right hand for the left hand is reserved for unpleasant and unclean necessities like wiping the nostrils, anus, and such like. It really makes you question your Mm. own hygiene habits. And, you know, like thinking about, I mean, that, that makes sense to me in some in some weird way i guess but then i have so many questions about that well firstly most important question what is what would such like be what's another thing that's like your anus and your nose what maybe a- like, i i would I, the only thing that came to mind is like cleaning your feet like maybe what cleaning the bottom of your feet but like any orifice maybe like cleaning out your ears or I, I just know I, I have no idea. I don't think modern medicine will let us elevate those to the status of anus. Although they do call the foot the anus of the leg, you know. So who, who calls it that? No, I, I, no, no one. As far as I know, I'm calling it that right we, now. We do now. This podcast. That's right. We're gonna put let's, it, tra- let's let's trademark that. The put foot, it on a t-shirt. The foot is the anus of the leg. Yes. Right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Under, uh, underappreciated workhorse of the leg. Yeah. Also, I feel like that's like that's the type of hygiene level that you're trying to get to. I guess if you are like imprisoned or in some type of prison, it's like I'm not going to touch that with my good hand. Like I have, right. a, I have a bad hand for that. Or if you don't have sanitary wipes or anything like that, or antibacterial soap, or running water. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which, I, which, not, which these people had nut zero of. So I guess, you know, his method makes sense in that regard. I do agree yeah. with that. I think today it would be a bit, I mean, unless you're a particularly careless person and really just trying to get yourself sick, I just think, a you know, blob, yeah. it's more of a mental block. I, you know, I could see somebody mentally just thinking I can't use both hands. To me, my left hand just isn't that useful. It's not, as de- it's not like dexterous enough. My left right. hand just is not, I can't use it for as many things. Mm, yeah. True. Um, I kind of felt that way, not about the hands, but the, um, like some of the, some of the things he was talking about with these like primitive, I guess we can call them that like primitive, uh, people is like, man, you know what they're doing like that, that still holds up today. Uh, Did you have a quote with uh, such an example? There was, um, here, let me see what the let me see the quotes I pulled. Because was, the the deepest I, way they could shame us that I pulled was the yoga quote. He's exactly, talking about yeah. he's talking about yogis. Yeah, it, as if we needed more people in 2019 to shame us. Th- those of us who don't do yoga to be shamed, and I do feel deeply shamed. At some point, I'm just going to do yoga and just give up the fight or whatever. It's clearly the most transcendent thing a person can do. But hey. he he said among the yogis, some of the men uh, are living under a rule. Oh, that's what he says. Sorry, the quote is: among them are some men living under a rule who are called yogis. They live even longer than the others, for they reach 150 to 200 years of age which that's i mean that's embarrassing for us we're not doing nearly as well i think we have to stop it there though because i was i read that exact same sentence and i i was doing running the numbers it's like okay if that's 1200 like 200 years old 700 years or like 800 years ago it, it could that be true no, there's no way. No, there's of course. no way. I, I was doing it. I was referencing that as a joke. No, there's no way a human person before the last in the last before the last 200 years ever lived. Maybe even to over 100. 
There's so then do you then take the rest of what he's talking about in these stories and be like, man, that's probably just bullshit. Of course. I think that's part of the joy of it is it's it's kind of lost itself to posterity. Obviously, it's so old mm-hmm. that I don't think I mean, what, what's he going to document with? You know, the no cameras. It's uh, compared to a modern traveler. We Marco Polo's accounts are kind of embarrassingly goofy. And according to Wikipedia, scholars have repeatedly challenged a lot of what he said, calling mm-hmm. it like second, you know, secondhand. He didn't actually travel that far. He there's one Wikipedia quote that said he never made it past where Iran is like modern modern day Iran. Uh, that's one theory. Hmm, yeah. Okay. So no, I'm I think giving, I'm I think giving this dude way too much credit then. Cause I was, so, I was looking into some of this stuff like, well, no shit. Like there's no fucking way. Yes. No, I'd say a majority maybe. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. A yeah. good, a good amount is taken with a grain of salt. I think that's, I suppose we should open with that, but yeah, I think th- there's of course, small anecdotes and details where you think, Oh sure. I'm sure he encountered that. Um, but the tarantula one is funny. I can just read that quote now. Um, yeah, let's move into that one. Yeah, on page 18, he this is a great image that he describes it as. Uh, he says, again, their houses, and he means they're like a king, one of these kingdoms that's in that would be in modern India. Again, their houses are infested with certain animals called tarantulas that run up the walls like lizards. They make a sound as if they are saying chiss, and this is their cry. I thought that last line, this is their cry, just killed me. I don't know. He makes them out to be like a warrior group or some kind of tribe of beasts or creatures. Uh, Firstly, I don't think, I know tarantulas are fast. Yeah. I don't think they run around. Do they? I thought they were jumpers. Well, I think they're pretty, what is it? Like they've got some dexterity to them. I think they do. I think they can move relatively quickly. I've never seen one crawl up a wall, but... I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, any. I think any spider could. I just didn't know they were so aggressive and nimble. Um, obviously, he was probably, if he did encounter them, I'm sure in his mind it was like a nightmare scenario that he just, sure. you know, probably hit him pretty hard having to encounter a uh, home with tarantulas. Think about think about seeing one tarantula, but then thinking think about seeing like 30 of them at one time i would be uh, that would haunt me i think that that would haunt my dreams yeah that's why we have to burn it all down <laughs> if that's if that is happening in your home which that's happening in a lot of homes in these stories you just you burn that hut to the ground i've seen i mean it's not the description of the homes he was staying at firstly the climate is so clearly not what he's used to in italy because he comments many times and i had deep sympathy for this about how hot it is it's just hot he, I think yeah. he calls it impossibly hot. I don't know if that's like the translator or whatever, but I think he does use like the phrase impossibly hot or unbearably hot, like at least five to 10 times. Uh, and so it's clear that he's in a climate that has animals growing in it that he has never seen. I think oh, yeah, for sure. Seeing a tarantula for the first time must be extremely off-putting. I don't even oh, think man. I've seen one in real life and it's off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> Just the internet, just seeing him online is that that is off putting enough for me. He does he does kind of go in to be like the beasts and uh, like the animals I encountered on my journey were nothing like I've ever seen. Um, I didn't pull any animal quotes, but I did pull one that kind of stuck with me. And I kind of think about this sometimes on page 30. He's talking about like a coconut, but in such a anyways, he says, 
Let's see. At the center of this edible layer, there's enough water to fill a flask. Is it? It is clear and cool and tastes delicious and is drunk after eating the flesh. He he goes on. It's like how that can just like hold somebody over for a day. And I think about this all the time. Like imagine being like one of the first people to discover like you can crack up open a coconut and like there's coconut water in there. Like yeah. that had to. It's been the most exhilarating thing ever. I have to say for the work that probably required, I, I would assume maybe a slightly greater reward, but coconut water is quite good. I mean, that's a decent reward for that kind of effort to put in. Yeah, that, uh, again, very 2019 that I was like, okay, yeah, that, uh, that, I've never had coconut water. That's a, there's, there's the curveball. Is it, I don't oh, even geez. know. How? Maybe, I don't. I'm trying to think if I've ever had it out of a fresh coconut because I've had fresh coconut before, but I don't know if I've ever gone so far as to drink the water or to drink any of like that Vita Coco or whatever they have out now. That it's, I find that unbelievable that you've lived in Los Angeles for like a decade and you've never had coconut water. That's the yeah. part. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised you've never had it directly from the coconut. I don't think I have either, but I to not have coconut water at all, man. 20, this book does truly have some trends that 700, 800 years on. Yeah, it's got good. the yoga. Yeah, it's got the coconut water. It's got like the um, like plant based diet. It's got a bunch. It's got it all. But no, yeah. never had coconut water. Is it something I need to seek out immediately? Not immediately. No, it's hmm. a nice little refresher. But I. I, I didn't find it to be transformational or any, it's kind of like, you know, it reminds me of almond milk in that way where you think, you know, this is, I get this, this is fine, but I don't think it's going to change your life. Hmm. Yeah. Now almond milk in Los Angeles is unavoidable. That's a, that's a guarantee. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Let me, let me see. What, uh, did you pull any other good ones? I had a nice one that I have now filed under the category of a double take or a double read. Hmm this in other books at least not in the sense of a true double take like um in like a comedy or you see in like a rom-com movie where somebody's head kind of whips back and they do the huh like what <laughs> uh this this line made me do that though because i was kind of cruising along just half reading sort of skimming and then yep. he's describing these extremely pious people i think it might be the yogis again these very admirable kind of well-behaved best of best of the best people and to mm -hmm. compliment them to flatter them he writes they do not have sex with any women except their wives which is such a low moral bar i think i don't know yeah. <laughs> i don't know what uh, the promises of matrimony were back then what the arrangements were like but i i mean that sentence starts and just the whiplash in the in the last couple words, I think I honestly read it again because I think I started it thinking, oh, they just don't have sex. Yeah, they're absent. And okay, I get it. Like, they're very virtuous. And then at the end, it's just like, eh, except with their wives, which no yeah. big deal. Like, uh, you know. Except, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they do not eat They do not eat meat or drink wine. It's like, oh, okay, where is this going? But yeah, that's because um, I there, there are a lot of extremes in this one too because I think he talks about in maybe – you know, another like province or area, but there's that one prince who he ends up living with 30,000 women. Oh, the numbers get up there. Yeah. They get, <laughs> they get way up there. Like, Hey, what's a couple hundred. It's like, well, there's some Kings, you know, a couple hundred wives. I know, but there's this one prince. He has 30,000. Like, how do you pack 30,000 people into one house? <laughs> to be and fair, in terms of the accuracy, of course, he sets that up as a frame story about a man that they view as yeah. like a Jesus yeah. figure. As like, like, yeah, like a deity. Yeah, yeah. true. 
he had been he was tempted his father who was a king as he tells it in the as marco polo tells it his father was a king who wanted to like treat his son well and like tempt him but his son never wanted anything very jesus-like and then Mm. so he yeah he tempted him by putting him in a house with thirty thousand wives which just seems excessive maybe even you know completely unnecessary if you ask me um so there's that quote all right uh, yeah i thought you know that number seemed a little bit ridiculous there was another one that i pulled on page 27 that I, it sounded like the most elaborate uh like get rich quick scheme um that i've ever heard of and it's a couple it's a, about a half a page so i'm just gonna kind of go into it. it said they take some lumps of bloody meat and fling them down into the depths of the valleys in the places where the meat is flung are littered with diamonds which become embedded in the flesh now, the fact is that many white eagles live in these mountains of prey on the serpents, and when these eagles see the meat lying at the bottom of the valleys, they swoop down, seize the lumps, and carry them off. The men, meanwhile, have been carefully watching where the eagles go, and as soon as they see that one is alighted and is swallowing the meat, they rush over as fast as they can, yada, yada, yada. They basically end up they <laughs> destroying or like dissecting the eagles or this meat and harvesting the diamonds from it. I just thought that was the one of the craziest... Like, that's one of the craziest things I've ever heard. It's ingenious and extremely, I'm sure, tedious, but I think it is the antithesis of get rich quick. I mean, that's that's get rich with, like, some random acts of nature, some real divine providence almost of, like, please, God, diamond, lodge yourself into this meat chunk. I, <laughs> I guess in a land where diamonds are so, if you can just throw, like, a gigantic piece of meat into, like, a ravine and get like a handful of right diamonds out of it. Like maybe they're not as important, but I mean, dude, imagine just going and like doing that same thing in 2019 and being able to harvest like a bunch of stones out of that one piece of meat. You would be a very wealthy man. I imagine that they were probably getting a good amount of, you know, like quartz or something. I, the di- Where the diamonds flow like water is that <laughs> truly does sound like a mystical, perhaps mythical place. Yeah, 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 yeah. We already knew it was a stretch, but uh, just the just the visual, just the uh, the thought of people doing that. I thought that was uh, yeah, that was amazing. It was one of the funnier and maybe like partially believable. Like, huh? I you know the the ingenuity there is definitely human. The kind of the kind of like weird laziness, but not laziness of it. It just struck me as a very human thing. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, pretty great. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a fun visual. Well, let's, um, I did have one more quote. I'm not going to read it, though. Let's just say that it involves a man stabbing himself like thousands of times uh, to commit the most honorable form of punishment or like he's, you know, anyway, there's just some really insane could not have happened type of like quotes about, you know, culture and living in some of these kingdoms. I thought that one was pretty wild, but let's move on to author to author. This is the section where we take last week's review and reading and then try and find connections and bridges and whatnot, sail our way from one book to another Marco Polo style. What did, oh, yeah. um, what did you find to connect between this week and last week, which was femme fatale by our yeah. friend guy guy, guy mal I feel like this is the author to author type of situation that we created the whole segment for. Like I said, this is the crossover we deserve. I think it would be awesome to get 
a maybe like a longer Marco Polo take on like 18th, 19th century, like Parisian culture. I think that would be, you know, pretty interesting. And then I would also love guys take on uh, like those weird Indian exotic island cultures that Marco Polo is talking about. God, and you, like, said, you said weird and exotic in the same sense. You're going to get us canceled, man. That is true. That is well, I mean, if we're talking, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I take full responsibility. And if that is indeed the case, if that's what gets this podcast just destroyed and taken off the air, man, yeah, I guess that's what I deserve. I don't know. Well, one day we're when talking it's talking about picking diamonds out of uh, raw meat, raw flesh. Yeah, certainly through the lens of Marco Polo, I can't, I can't really take either of those adjectives away from you. So I think as long as we frame it that way, it's all through the lens of our old pal Marco, who was just doing his best in 1300, just trying to figure it out, describing yeah. the things he could see and the things he had probably heard secondhand. No, yeah, I'm sure if you're not wrong right now, yeah, it'd be totally PC, totally cool. Yeah, yeah, he was he had the most open mind I think you could expect and hope for. The zero judgment again. I think we're going to try and reflect the you know Marco Polo wasn't there to judge these people. I'm not yeah. here to judge these people. I did. I kind of wanted the the crossover you mentioned too, the Marco Polo in Paris, just just because what I want there. I mean, it's it's quite clear that not everything he wrote in this travelogue is could be true. The, hun- the 150, 200 year old yogis on the mountains give that away, and so I kind of want that version, though the the maybe slightly hyperbolic version of the Paris. I want the I want his description of those parties or the boar hunting, but just a little more fantastic, you know, like the man blows mm-hmm. off his own leg, but then he hunts the boar down and drags it back with one, you know, I just want the, the secondhand Marco Polo descriptions really neutral and really kind of admiring. Yeah. I think guy would help bring some characters to life. And, uh, I think Marco Polo could benefit. I think they both could benefit from each of, you know, each of the others like character development and, or like storytelling ability or like, um, like life experience. Yeah. I feel like that's exactly like, that's the dream crossover right there. The author to author, at least for me, that might be the best one so far. It could be. And I think that the reverse too would be pretty great. I wrote down, there's a few of these Marco Polo details that were cast off as like half paragraphs. And I'm thinking, give guy a chance to just give me, give me a subtle critique. Give me some kind of very subtle satire or give me a fun kind of playful short story version. There's a lot of little, there's competitive pearl fishermen. There's princes with no moral flaws. There's mm-hmm. tarantula homes with, you know, with these <laughs> galvan, these like they have their own battle cry tarantulas. Uh, there's yeah. the thing you said, the meat, the meat diamond hunters, um, the, the diamond, I guess you'd say miners. Is that mining technically diamond? Fishing? I don't know. It's diamond fishing. I- Diamond, yeah, fishing, sure, hawking? yeah, why not? Diamond uh, hawking, <laughs> I don't know. Well, but give me we one of curling. I have no idea. Yeah, what you want? Give me one of those stories, please. Just string it out into a nice short story. Give me some satire. Give me like I think that would also be pretty excellent because 
yeah, he presents so much of it so neutrally, Marco Polo, and he keeps repeating yeah. the same sentence structures. Let me tell you this, and then here you have to hear this now, and it's just sort of uh, give me something a little more original. I think that'd be great. Yeah. I want to know about the guy who's throwing that meat down into that ravine. Like, what's he going home to? Who's he, you know, who's he really pining over? Like, what is he, what's he thinking about? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think you're right. This one, I could see some extreme crossover potential. And, well, hopefully that's what we'll get. Maybe somebody will have to go out there and just make it themselves for us. Mm, True. Yeah. Let's conclude with ratings. This is what we always do at the end of the pod. We're here after all to recommend and rate and suggest things for you guys to read. Our rating system is out of three points. One point means do not read this under any circumstance. Two, well, actually, no, that seems fair. Uh, Two is qualified recommendation, so maybe. And three is definitely go read this. Go find whatever version you can at your public library or independent bookstore, etc. So what do you got? What's your rating for this one? I think although it did inspire some lively conversation and I feel like it was refreshing and fun and, uh, you know, and now I'm hesitant to say exotic, but exotic and uh, kind of kept my attention. I don't know. I thought this was a two. It yeah. It, it kind of ended up like it kind of panders around kind of a lot. And it's sort of, it kind of, I don't know, the style might've had something to do with that. I kind of found it, like you said, you can just sort of skim over it and kind of skim through it. And there's some parts of it kind of grab you, but I don't know. It was a, I would say it's a fun too. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I also gave it a two. I kind of want you to expand on what you mean by panders a bit. To who? To whom do you think he's pandering? Like his Italian I, buddies or something? Travel yeah, buddies? Like, yeah. yeah, it feels like everything everything that he's talking about is like, well, man, I have to tell you this, and then I'll have to, you know, I have to tell you, I have to tell you why these certain people believe that they had to do, and I, 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 I can't pull any specific examples, but okay. it just kind of felt like. I kind of wanted him to be like, all right, man, well, get to it. And I guess in certain parts of the, in the stories, he, he does like there's, you know, he, it, it just kind of goes on and on for me. It just got, it didn't have any, I think we talked a little bit about like the rhythm or like his like pacing or something like that. It just kind of seemed, it just seemed kind of off to me. It just kind of seemed to like ramble. Maybe, maybe pandering wasn't the right word. Oh, I was just curious. I thought that was an interesting way to phrase it. I just didn't notice much audience participation, though he does say you and we a lot in this book. He's like talking to someone, but maybe himself yeah. in his jail cell. Maybe he's hopefully writing that. <laughs> I thought, I mean, yeah, I wrote down about the style too. It's utterly repetitive in, in all caps. I mean, it's almost, I, this would be a fascinating quantitative kind of study. I want to know what percentage of these sentences start with the phrase, you should also know, or you should know, or I should I tell just, you, because yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's brutal. I just, flipped, <laughs> I just flipped to page 30 and on the first paragraph, you should know also that a Marvel such as I yeah. will describe happens here. And you, it's like, you can all that. Yeah, go ahead. It's every paragraph. It feels like it's every paragraph. You can only take those four words and construct them in different ways about three times. And he finds it. He finds every way to do it. 
as long as you yeah. can look past that and don't get fully lulled into it, there were definitely pages where I kind of, my attention kind of drifted. I almost always got grabbed back in. Their, their quote would come by and it would just kind of grab you by the throat and be like, whoa, what is, what, what is this? There's meat diamonds, yeah. diamond meat traders, yeah. which I think there's enough fascination there and there's just enough interest and intrigue in those lines where you just can't help but wonder what he was going through or what his adventures were like. And yeah, I think it's a really solid too. If that sounds intriguing to you, I can't, or we can't obviously speak to the larger tales, the longer work that he wrote. Cause this is, you know, but 50 pages, but I think if, you know, those descriptions intrigue you and you want a little slice of 1300s uh, perspective, it was pretty great. Yeah. And mostly readable. It was good. Yeah, man. So looking ahead to next week, it looks like we have again, Difficult name, but I'm going to go for it. Suetonius? Yeah. And I do know how to pronounce the title, Caligula. Yeah, ever, I think that's the thing. Everyone knows, uh, I think, generally what we use Caligula to mean, which means just decadent and depraved. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know who wrote this either. Some uh, Roman biographer, Suetonius or Suetonius? Hmm. Yeah, Suetonius. So Caligula, and I actually did not know that. I've heard the term or I've heard the name or title in in like you know, at some point in my life, but mm-hmm. I I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint it. So again, no no very little going in, but um sounds interesting. Yeah, him and there's another one. I think Nero. There are a couple Roman emperors uh, that were more infamous than than the others by long shots for their mm-hmm. just for their general moral decay and disgusting like. And this guy seems murderous behaviors. Yeah, I think it's him and. Gosh, I swear, there's one other really infamous reference. It's not Nero though. Well, but there are others, and this is one mm. of them. So it's a biography about part of partially about Caligula. All right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you have anything else? No, not at all. No, I'm glad we had a little bit of a reprieve there with Marco Polo. Get there out, out there in the high seas, out there in the oceans. Mm. Yeah, and in the arid desert, in the uh, that's right. Hot tempered island climate. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, on that note, I'll take us out, and uh, we'll see you between the classics. Mm-hmm.